Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to a special bonus opening ceremonies episode of the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Hyde Ballion, and I am with the author of Sporting Superpower. It's the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. And we have a very special guest today, a flag bearer from the opening ceremonies, ice dancer Tina Garabedian. Now, you can probably hear in Hyde's voice there's a smile on his face. Because well, yeah, I mean, we we both have a very similar background. We're both Armenian Canadians. Yes. she's much younger and more talented than I am. Definitely more talented. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think there's definitely like I know where she's coming from, which is yes. which is really really yeah. cool. Armenian school in in Canada. That well, yeah, that's right. And she's from Laval. She's from Montreal, which is where I was born. And I know you have a very strong connection to Montreal. My as mother well. is also from Montreal. Yeah, yeah. very excited too. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll hear all about what it was like to be. In the stadium on opening ceremony night. And we just talked to her from inside the closed loop here in Beijing. So that's that's a first for me anyway. I know you've spoken to a lot of people inside the loop. But Mark, we're going to talk a little bit about the opening ceremonies. And we're going to talk a little bit about the competition itself. All right. So I watched a little bit of the opening ceremonies. But I think you watched the entire Yes, thing. I did. Start to finish. Before the opening ceremonies, you made a prediction on uh, that I read about on Twitter that came true. What was the prediction? As with every opening ceremony, one of the key things that people are looking for is who is going to light the Olympic cauldron. And, uh, you know, I'd been asked by a bunch of journalists, you know, who, who do you think who do you think it's going to be? I mean, there's Yang Yang, who is China's, uh, you know, uh, f- former Winter Olympic champion. She's heavily involved with the IOC. So there's kind of maybe she's too much of an insider to, to get the job. She's kind of an obvious choice. There's other Winter Olympians, um, you know, who, who've won medals for China in the past. But I'd kind of heard, I'd uh, had a tip that um, they're actually going to give it to basically an unknown athlete by the name of Dinajir Ilamujiang. Now, if that sounds uh, uh, not particularly typical for Chinese, it's because 
it's not a Han Chinese name. She is a Uyghur athlete from Xinjiang. So You're, that was your prediction. Yes. Uh, and what they had, is, as they always have, they always have the final torchbearers. So they had uh, seven people in the stadium. And the final two actually did the final duties together. Now, uh, Dinajir was one of them. And uh, uh, Zhao Jiawen, a Nordic combined male uh, competitor for China, and they basically released the torch into a snowflake, and then that was uh, that was raised up. So the Chinese internet was like, wow, what an amazing ceremony. And like, I can't believe there was no cauldron. They were stunned the fact there was no actual Olympic cauldron that had been lit. Not my takeaway, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your takeaway? Well, I mean... Okay, on the one hand, and, and we got a bit of time here, so I'm going to give a little bit more context. Yeah. China has been really pushing a narrative recently that, uh, you know, uh, it's the birthplace of skiing. Of course, uh, it claimed it thousands and thousands of years ago that cross-country skiing was was first, you know, born in Altai in Xinjiang. It's, it's really focused on some of these more traditional Nordic sports, so cross-country, biathlon, ski jumping, uh, Nordic combined. Uh, there's a reason for that. One is um, that it has a lot of gold medals. 31 gold medals of, of 109 uh, come from just those four sports. Not particularly competitive because there's only a few nations in the world that compete, like Norway and a few others, dominate these sports. So China's identified them as ones where they can really make some inroads and win some gold medals in the future. And then, of course, you've got all the politics. It's politically important because it ties in with the birthplace of skiing and cross-country and all this sort of stuff. So an absolutely calculated move to pick two cross-country and, and Nordic combined athletes to do the final thing. But of course, with Dinajir being the only Uyghur athlete, to my knowledge, from China's delegation, hard to read that as anything other than basically a slap in the face to the West with all the criticism of, of the issues in Xinjiang to say, we don't really care what you're saying. We're just going to go and not do it anyway, but like really make a show of, of, of all the athletes they could have picked. It's pretty brazen, I have to say. After you made this prediction on on Twitter about this specific athlete, the Uyghur athlete, you there was a little bit of pushback. Uh, what can you? What what was going on there? People may or may not be aware. There's there's quite a large Chinese presence on Twitter these days. Um, hard to know if they're uh, you know overseas or, or or using a VPN from from inside the country. People sort of saying, well, you know, why are you making a political thing about this? It is she's just she's just a young athlete and it wasn't my decision to pick her it is absolutely no question in my mind a political decision it, it's it's frustrating um to say the least when china relentlessly says don't politicize these games and then the, of all the 176 athletes they could have chosen and, and all the the former winter olympians they could have chosen as well the one person they took was the most political decision of all so again as as i've said before when when people say don't politicize you know don't put your politics uh, um, it's it, don't put don't put politics that we don't like yeah yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what don't, they don't mean. put your politics in in my sports. But yeah. of course, uh, we're we're happy to put our politics in there. <sighs> okay, so so politics aside, what did you make of the opening ceremonies? So yeah, that was my kind of biggest takeaway because it was I was pretty it was just pretty surprised that mm. they, they they kind of went with that. Mm. But um, I think from the from, from the rest of the ceremonies point of view, let's be honest, it was artistically very very good, very impressive. Mm -hmm. um, but I think China has an incredibly high bar when it comes to opening ceremonies. So people were like, were you surprised and impressed? I was like, well, I wasn't surprised because I was expecting something very impressive. I mean, I, I followed it a lot of it on Twitter and a lot of the journalists were, you know, looking for significance in, in a lot of what was happening. 
do we do we really remember any of the political significance in the 2020 opening ceremonies? Is that is it real? Like what is what is the actual significance of this? So for me, if I'm comparing 2008 here in China, the moment it was the it was the the final torch bearing moment. That's the thing that I remember from 2008. That was when Li Ning, the 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 former Olympic gymnast, but also uh, who has a, a hugely a successful Chinese sportswear and, and this brand. is in your book, by the way. This yeah. Is a, yeah. Thank you very much yeah. for the plug. Yeah. Dressed in Adidas clothes, uh, like Mr. Li Ning, founder of his own eponymous company, Li Ning, flies around the stadium and lights the torch. I mean, the perfect moment of ambush marketing. And I remember speaking to, to a sort of senior sports executive saying that was the moment where he was like, the party is over for Western brands. That was China basically saying, you know, we're here, we're going to do this on our own terms. And and I think that has very much played out. You know, another thing that I've sort of noticed is that was China getting a seat at the top table. 14 years later, China's in charge. China is writing the place cards and telling everyone else where to sit, right? The 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 picking the 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 selection of the Uyghur athlete is basically saying, we don't care what anyone else is saying. This is the way things are going to go around here. And we don't care whether you like it or not. You know, and speaking of leaning or speaking of Chinese apparel, I was watching the men's moguls yesterday yeah. and the Canadian, Michael Kingsbury, who, came, who won the silver, it was a big Anta logo on his uniform. I can... Wow, I didn't know. That is that is super interesting because particularly in Canada, there's been quite a lot of discussion, but a lot of the different ski teams, the, the teams within the Olympic um, Committee of each nation can have individual sponsorships. So, of course, Lululemon sponsored the opening ceremony parade and stuff for the Canadian right. athletes, but the different sports teams can make their own deals. Speaking, okay, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about results. Uh, China won its first gold medal yesterday uh, in a short track team event. Here's what it sounded like on CCTV 5 here in China. I, I watched this event. It's super exciting. You watched it as well, I know. That was incredible. Yeah, I mean, look, I am uh, I was super happy for two reasons. I think, number one, it's great when the host nation gets off to a fast start. Um, it doesn't have to happen that way. I was in uh, Vancouver for 2010, and Canada had a shocking first week and then just came back and ended up winning the medals tables at the end. So, so that was kind of another nice story. But it's good to get the nation involved, and I think it's good for a successful games. Um, but in this particular event... Um, we knew China was going to be one of the favorites, uh, but Fan Kushin, who uh, is a 10-time world champion, she had just had Olympic disappointment after Olympic disappointment. She was understandably in tears on, on television doing an interview uh, after the race. This was the mixed uh, relay, so quite quite a, a, one of the newer events, and so quite fun to watch. What does a gold medal do for these athletes? Is it is it a completely life-changing event for them? It kind of depends who they are. Um, so Wu Jing, who already won gold, he was also on the, uh, he won four years ago. He was the flag bearer at the, the closing ceremony in, in uh, Pyeongchang. You know, he's already a huge star. Fang Kishin, 10-time world champion, she is as well. So not really going to change their life. But for some of the, the, um, the, the lesser members or the less well-known people, um, they definitely get well rewarded and compensated. Often they get uh, they get given stuff from their local, either provincial or municipal uh, teams and governments because people are very proud to say, you know, you're from our province and so on. And so it won't be till like, you know, we've heard stories of, of parents getting apartments from the local government. <laughs> like it's, it's it's pretty interesting. And what I would I can imagine as well is you know in five ten years there's going to be 
speed skating schools all over the place that have their names on them and that yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. But that team almost didn't make it to the finals. Like the semifinals were just batshit crazy. That was crazy. Obviously, I've covered the Olympics for a while, and so I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar um, with with short track because. I don't think a lot of people watch it year round every year, but we've seen it before. The same thing happens four years ago in in Korea. The Chinese were getting all the decisions going against them. I would say probably in every second or third race, there's some sort of controversy, whether it's a collision, whether there's a disqualification or a penalty. And so the athletes just kind of shrug their shoulders and like, ah, you know what? Well, it kind of sucks, but you know, it is what it is. I, I saw someone say, and I think they mean it because they're so used to this. But fans who are tuning in for the first time every Olympic cycle, like, what on earth was that? You know, the Americans shouldn't have been disqualified. China wouldn't have won if it hadn't been, you know, you know, given the, the home judging decision. I'm like, come on. Like it, this, it, it literally happens almost every race. Yeah. So it's part of the sport. That I think is why it's fun. But every every Olympics, there's people going berserk on Twitter, just as the Chinese fans were four years ago. This time it was the American fans complaining. But yes, if uh, they hadn't got a very uh, favorable decision in the semifinals, China wouldn't have been in the final at all. You know, you know, just as a spectacle, it's so good. I love these kinds of sports where there's jostling, it's fast, and it, and you know, I think they've really hit on something here. Well, when we uh, when we spoke to uh, to the uh, Yope, the the strength yeah. and conditioning uh, coach, the Dutch guy, I won't even begin to pronounce his uh, his last name. Uh, but he was sort Diosima. of joking. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, he was joking that you know, speed skating, the also known as long track speed skating, to distinguish it, that's the original form which the Dutch dominate. And he was like, "Yeah, everyone was like, this is a little bit too boring. So it let's, is. let's invent a, fa- <laughs> a shorter, right. faster." <laughs> He's right. It's a lot more fun to watch short track. Lots and lots of events coming up today and this week. What is on your radar? What are you going to be watching? Uh, most immediately today, I'm going to be watching some um, alpine skiing. Uh, Alexander. I'm at Kilda, who uh, came on the, the show I just know a few that weeks guy. ago. Yes. <laughs> uh, hot favorite for, for some gold medals here from Norway. Uh, he goes today. And, of course, uh, Michaela Schiffer's boyfriend. She was talking about how hard it's been for her to be away from uh, from Alexander for, for, for several months. Um, but, yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be excited. I think some freestyle skiing uh, getting underway at the moment. Uh, short track alternates every other night. So uh, no no short track today. We'll be back on tomorrow. That's where China probably has its best chances repeatedly throughout, throughout these games. So uh, that is what the uh, host nation will be watching for sure. Before we get to our interview with Tina, tickets. We've talked about tickets a lot. I still haven't been able to get any tickets. Killing it's, me. It's been Absolutely really hard. killing me, Hike. You know, I'm actually feeling... I was feeling slightly guilty. I had a pass to go into the bubble and I was I was second guessing myself a little bit and thinking, oh, I just don't want to do another quarantine. Uh, but uh, speaking to people inside the bubble, I, I feel very good with that decision. They're basically getting no access. You know, they're sitting in press conferences where you can't really, uh, you know, get up close and personal with, with either officials or, or uh, athletes. And, and so I think it's been quite frustrating for, for the journalists who are in there covering the games. And of course, just the testing and, the, and all the restrictions uh it's it's uh it's it's pretty wearing where have you been watching events just at home yeah um usually the i have uh have cctv on um cctv5 so that's you know it has obviously the chinese uh hopefuls at, at any one time but um there's also kind of got the laptop open and uh, the various streams going on so you can kind of dot around uh, depending on what's going on yeah on my tv i have the australian channel i have a couple of american channels yeah, all, fully, all fully legal yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a different story. There's the BBC. So there's there's no end of it. And I don't have the Canadian one. I, I want to watch more curling. So, I mean, this is a for- source of frustration for me, but... Oh, speaking of curling, I'm glad you mentioned curling. So China has a new curling star, uh, Fan Suyuan. And um, the reason she is uh, partly is because uh, curling started before the opening ceremony. So she had two of her games in primetime when... when People had nothing else to watch. Nice. She's also been sort of pointed out she, she's young and attractive and, and the Chinese internet have basically fallen in love with her. You know, she's kind of the new star. Curling, it's it's pretty funny that they sort of, um, obviously they're talking in Chinese. This is, she's in the mixed pairs curling division, but some of the calls are all in English. Mm. So when she's calling to her partner, Le Ling, to, to, to kind of sweep her, she's like, Hard, but like screaming down the ice, like hard. And like, it's, it's pretty amusing. I mean, that is curling. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's just quite interesting to see them switch back and forth. And then they speak to their Finnish coach in English and then kind of converse in Chinese and kind of flip back and forth a little bit. Have you ever curled? I have not. Okay. It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. I also heard it's pretty easy to slip. Uh, you got to wear a helmet. No, I saw that on the on the list today. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, right, yeah okay. I would never wear well, a helmet to girl. Maybe, that, maybe, that would, maybe, you'd look ridiculous. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you go to wear the right skiing. shoes. Like, what are you talking yeah, no, about? No, I, I prefer to stay the other side of the uh, the, the sporting arena and, and give some give some give some views. And stuff. I, listen, I love I love a sport where you can have a beer in one hand. Come on, hike. These days, they're all they're all athletes. Honestly, I think most of the curlers. I think they'll take it oh, without more a seriously than than oh without than a doubt. Da- oh, come on, like at that level. Of course, of course. But I'm just, I'm talking about me at a, listen. listen well, I I'm mean, you can ski and have a beer, like, you know. I, well, so this, that's how is, one of the is Kennedys there a sport, died. Is there a sport you can't do with drinking? I, I oh, that's fa- a good, that's a good point. I haven't found one yet. Well, on that note, up next, we talked to Tina Garabedian. She was at the opening ceremonies carrying the flag for Armenia. Joining us from inside the closed loop is Tina Garabedian, one half of the ice dancing pair from Armenia and one of the flag bearers for Armenia, Tina Welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast. We are so, so excited to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just just to start, like Friday night, as you walked into the stadium, what, what was that like for you? It was a dream come true, I think. Uh, and just the fact that I'm here at the Olympics is, is already crazy. But the fact that I was holding the flag and like seeing the Olympic ring so big, obviously, it was the first time that I was there. <clears throat> so it was... A huge opening and really a, a very incredible moment for me, a very special one that I'll remember forever. And I'm very grateful that I was chosen to be uh, one of the flag bearers for Armenia. Give us a sense of, of what that whole day was like. Like, when did the build up start? What time did you have to get to the to the stadium? Are you guys waiting inside? You know, you're chatting with the other athletes. Like, like give it, take us behind the scenes. Yeah, so I... Obviously, first time, didn't know what to expect. So I thought that it would be, you know, quick, but it was rather long. It was a long process to get ready. Um, I uh, did my hair and makeup, got got dressed. Everything was, you know, had to have to wear the same outfit. I didn't realize that it would be so cold and that we would be outside for so long. So I think a heads up to others is to wear like, gloves, hats, you know, boots. I was wearing running shoes, so my feet were really cold. But, um, oh, boy. yeah, next time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we we headed to the closed stadium just to have, like, all the countries there and organized before walking to the open sta- stadium where the opening was, was held. And that took about, like, 
two hours, I would say. And then um, we were outside for a while, but yeah. And, and like how segregated were you? Like I know there's obviously social distancing and all that sort of stuff, but did you get to hang out with the other athletes? And obviously you've, you've spent a lot of time in Canada. Do you see any of the Canadian athletes or, or some of the others? During that time, not really, because it was pretty much like each country is is separated with their own team. So I was with the Armenians and it was it was quite organized. Like if let's say we were walking a little too fast and getting close to the country ahead of us, they would tell us to stop and slow down. So in that moment, no. But every you know other day we skate, we have practices with four other I am um, couples. So uh, that's fun. We always see each other and, and talk. So, what was the last two weeks like for you? Just as you were preparing to come to Beijing, what what what, what was going on with you? We had the European Championships in January, and that was the last competition before the Olympics. So we were out, and you know, some couples decided not to go uh, because of how scared they were with COVID and stuff. Like we know how strict it is here, and with the testing every day. So we were able to go and come back safely. Everything was fine. So I think that was a little bit of a worry there. And, you know, it continues to to be one because there's a lot of athletes in the village and we're hearing things here and there. So we try to keep our distance and, you know, wear the gloves in the cafeteria, not get too close. We always have masks on. So we're doing the best that we can. But um, preparation-wise, I think... The most stressful part for me was packing because it's the first time that I'm, you know, gone for a competition for so long. Usually it's always like seven, eight days. And this time we're, I think, going to be gone for 16 or 17. So I pretty much brought everything that I could and realized that maybe it was too much. (laughs) (laughs) What were the tough choices? What did you leave behind? Um, Honestly, not much. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned, Tin, you mentioned uh, like the COVID restrictions both in there. Where would you say for you has been like the single biggest stress point? Was it like that final test to get on the plane? Was it like the first test after arrival? Is it like day to day you're thinking like, oh, you know, please let it <laughs> come back negative. Like, uh, can you relax at all? Like our sense is that inside the bubble, it's probably okay. And that the vast majority of cases are getting screened out either before or or immediately on arrival at the airport. But you know, of course, there's a risk. What's your sense? Yeah, I mean, definitely the two tests before coming here were pretty stressful just because, I mean, we tested uh, at the school that we're at, I am, they asked us to do an antigen test every day the last week before leaving just to make sure that everybody was good, you know, not to cause any other problems to the other couples. And um, so I, I, I assumed I was fine going into those tests, but obviously getting the negative results is is very reassuring but I don't think that I'm more relaxed now like that's what I was telling my husband that you know it's it's almost like this is overpowering what I'm supposed to do on the ice like when I'm on the ice it's all good I'm fine but every other second I'm like okay don't get close to people keep your mask on you know like it's just added stress for the athletes and I think that everybody's expressed it it's it's a very different environment than what we're used to so you know it's it's a stress until the competition day and I'm there like that's what I'm thinking about I'm like okay I'm here I'm at the Olympics but it's not done until I compete and everything's good so I think speaking of competition I think your first event is Saturday is that right what is your week gonna be like between now and then 
we're here early because of the opening. Obviously, we wanted to take part in it. And uh, we have practices every day. We've This is going to be our fourth day of practices. And we'll take off on Tuesday to start like fresh before the competition. But yeah, basically, we have practices every day. And um, yesterday, we got to watch speed skating, short tracks. So that was really fun, you know, trying to see other events while we're here. But yeah, I'm trying to, to enjoy the most of the Olympics and my experience here. Were most of your other competitors also, they all, uh, all, all came in early because of the opening ceremony? Yeah, exactly. Some of them, the opening ceremony, and some also did the team event, which was um, two days ago and I think tomorrow. So who are you um, best friends with or sort of uh, biggest rivals with perhaps on the, on, the, on the circuit? I mean, I'm friends with everybody, I think everybody, but obviously the ones from Montreal are closer since we see each other more often. For rivals, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll have to see, I think... Uh, the people that were around us at Europeans, you know, we, we've done some changes, we've improved. So obviously we want to be in the top 20 to be able to do the free dance as well. So yeah, looking forward to uh, competing against them again. And just give us a sense of sort of your Olympic journey. You know, was this something that, you know, you, you dreamt of since you were a little girl, you know, or did it develop and, and grow as you got more into the sport? And then And then tell us about how and when you found out that when you first found out you were going to be coming to the Olympics? I started skating when I was five. I don't remember doing this exactly back then, but my mom tells me, you know, you wrote it on a paper when you, that it was your dream to go to the Olympics when back then I didn't really know what it was and didn't think that it would be a possibility, obviously. And, you know, representing Armenia later on with ice dance, I was like, oh my God, this this is possible. We could We could do it, actually. So... I think it became more of a reality as uh, we got better and as we were, you know, more on the scene. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but last year at Worlds, there was the false positive for my partner. So we weren't able to compete and do the first qualifier for the Olympics. And I think that was, you know, the biggest obstacle that we've gone through because um, we didn't compete all of that year due to COVID and we were looking forward to this because obviously that's why we're still skating that's the biggest objective that was hard those couple of months and we got back into it and qualified at the next qualification which was in September at Oberstdorf it was it was very emotional when we after the free dance that's when we knew like we had to be i think third to be in the top 4 and get the spot and that's what we saw in the results it was yeah, very emotional that it was actually happening. You know, I want to go back a little bit, a little, well, actually quite quite a lot, actually, because uh, well, I read in your bio that you went to an Armenian school until you were in grade seven, and then you went into uh, a sports-oriented school. Now, as somebody who went to Armenian school in Toronto, uh, I can totally understand how, you know, I have very fond memories of it, but academically very rigid and not a lot of you know, sports wasn't really prioritized that, that much. So what did it do for you to go into sort of a more sports-oriented school at that young of an age? Like you said, sports wasn't a big thing. Um, it's, you know, in an Armenian school, everything is, is a certain way. And I think that I tried my best to, my mom obviously wanted me to graduate from that school, and so did I. But um, when you're trying to get to a higher level, there's so much you could do with an hour of skating a day. And um, when I did change to a sports study program, we were skating 
well, I was skating like three hours every day during the week and could take the weekends off, which was easier for my parents driving back and forth and easier for me to train properly. And um, well, back then I was still in singles. So it's later on that I started ice dance and was more in love with the sport, I, I would say. What about in Armenia itself? Like, are you well known there now? Like, what what has happened since you've sort of made it to the Olympics and you became the flag bearer? Have you been receiving a lot of messages from there? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot more uh, fans are coming out. We've been a couple of times. We've competed there at their championships. So I think we're well known. I, I mean, I hope so. That's what I'm hearing from, like, people and news and stuff. Uh but yeah, it's definitely great to be there in the crowd and, and having their support. It must have been a little bit tough, obviously, the last uh, few years with travel restrictions, not actually being able to go there. So were any any sort of trips on the horizon in terms of post-Olympics or is it sort of too, too soon to say? I think uh, there's like uh, some competition in September or something and they wanted us to go maybe do an exhibition. So I think that's in the talks, but we're definitely going to Worlds afterwards. And then we'll see. We have to discuss about our future in the career. Yeah, actually, to be honest, uh, maybe I was just uh, superimposing sort of Chinese travel restrictions on, on everywhere else. It's possible yeah. that outside of China, we're, we're basically stuck here because, you know, you come back in, you have to quarantine for, for three weeks and so on. So maybe you can tra- travel more freely than we can. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just bummed that we can't come well I can't come see you compete and I would love to go there and, and support you and and it's it's just a bummer that I can't be there and I, and I guess your family can't be here either yeah it was definitely hard not having my husband my parents are actually here they're part of the the team but since it was limited spots he didn't make the cut unfortunately but, um, oh. <laughs> everybody you know when we qualify they my whole family like my um my cousins and my sisters they all said let's book the, the tickets from now and things like that and we waited until we knew it was official if they could come or not and obviously the news came out earlier on and um they'll they'll watch us on the big screen at home it's fine but yeah that's amazing, though, that your parents were able to come in as part of the contingent. I mean, I guess being a being a relatively smaller delegation, you can there's maybe a bit more flexibility exactly, yeah. there. But you know, the vast majority of competitors don't have, don't have that, so that's kind of a yeah. key bit of I support. I consider for you. myself lucky in that in that field. Yeah, definitely. So, just um, kind of reflecting on your experience here, like what kind of interaction do you have with with the volunteers and with the testers, and you know, you kind of see people. Are they all, is everyone kind of wearing the, the hazmat suits or the volunteers are kind of in, you know, just, just a normal mask and uniform? <laughs> like, like what kind of interaction have you, have you seen with, with the thousands of, of, of Chinese people who are also in the bubble with you? I was definitely surprised the first day when I saw their, their suits, cause they're pretty much like fully equipped with boots and, you know, the, the white coat, uh, covering their face, the visors, yeah. The hazmat, the hazmat yeah, suits. Yeah, everything yeah. is everything is on. Uh, I got used to it, and uh, I think uh, it's it's good for the safety for them and for the athletes as well. For the volunteers, it's they're they're so welcoming. They're so nice. Every time you walk by, they're like waving hi. If they're sitting, they stand up. Like makes you feel like you're very special. And they, I think, they're fans at the end of the day. So I'm glad that they're there and they're they're supporting everybody is walking by and um, it's been great. I think that uh, we really enjoy seeing them every day and, and interacting with them. 
Tina, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Shinor Hagaru Chun, Hachoru Chun. Thank you. I'm looking Thank forward you to so seeing much. you seeing you skate. And, uh, you know, th- thanks so much for talking to us. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you guys. Thank you for having me. It was uh, really fun. That was Tina Garabedian, the flag bearer for Armenia. How amazing she's able to get her parents. I mean, like, like she said, she felt very lucky. Uh, obviously, they're part of the official... Armenian delegation with with specific roles uh, as part of that um, that that team, but like she's possibly the only athlete who is <laughs> in that position. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, though, I mean, it's a really small team. I think there's three people, three, in athletes, the entire, yeah. three athletes in the entire delegation, and and then yeah, the other thing that stood out for me was when she was just talking about the mental stress and the constant, you know, overbearing specter of COVID, which is just an unfortunate reality. And we talked about this on the show before, but. You know, I think to some extent, the Chinese athletes will have a little bit of an advantage just because they've been used to these lockdown-like conditions for, in some cases, many months in the leading up to uh, in the leading up to these Olympic Games. Not ideal preparation for anyone, but they're just a little bit more used to it, I think, uh, with the testing and with the with the restrictions and the isolation. But yeah. Um, Whoever is is kind of mentally strong really could make the difference between between a medal and, and, and not. That was a special episode of the China Sports Insider Podcast. We'll be back later this week. Goodbye. Goodbye.